God spoke to Moses and he said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for your soul. What's interesting there is that word atonement is the same word that the Old Testament uses for the word purged. When we have our sins purged. And if you break down that word to determine what that word atonement means, it means to cover in pitch. Do you remember anything else in the Old Testament that was covered with pitch? Anyone? Noah's Ark was covered in pitch. They were protected because they were covered in pitch. Friends, without blood, there is no life in the physical body. But likewise, without blood, there is no life in the spiritual body either. Someone has said, cut the Bible anywhere and it will bleed. Blood flows through the Bible just like it flows through our veins. 427 times the Bible mentions blood. So I think it's a pretty important thing. Without the blood, the gospel of Jesus Christ is of no avail. Without the blood, you and I are deprived of any opportunity for eternal life. In Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, For this is my blood, sealing the new covenant between God and his people. It is poured out to forgive the sins of many. Paul explained it this way, that God has purchased our freedom with his blood and forgiven all of our sins. Peter added, we are not purchased with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Paul agreed, or John agreed, with Paul and Peter saying, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Friends, are you beginning to see the picture about the blood? It is so important that you and I see the importance of the blood of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something that's even more important than that. It's more important that God sees the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Because if he doesn't see the blood, all he sees is your sin. So today... We're going to examine the blood of Christ through a microscope, if you will. And we're going to try to get a complete picture, a complete portrait, and see the characteristics of the blood of Christ. The first is, the blood of Christ is perfect. Paul explained, for God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. The perfect righteousness of God. You see, a natural father would have imparted the sin nature of Adam to his offspring. And that means that his death could never have saved us. But the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin and he had no original sin. His blood was perfect. The sins of Adam that come through the bloodline of a man were not 
no original sin. Everything about Christ is perfect, including his blood. Now I want you to see that the blood of Christ is also pure. It's also pure. Friend, uh, one of the reasons we use grape juice in our Lord's Supper service instead of wine is because wine has to go through a process of fermentation. And that process of fermentation, in all reality, is a rotting process. The process of fermentation actually is bacteria working in the juice. It's breaking down its elements and it's creating the wine. So wine could never be a proper portrait of the perfect and pure blood of Jesus Christ. But grape juice, on the other hand, pure grape juice, I believe is a more accurate picture, a prettier portrait of the pure blood of the Son of God. Just like the bread without leaven is of his body. John explained that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wow. Man, did it cost God a lot. It cost God plenty to, to offer you a way out of the dead-end life you were living. Friend, let me tell you, if it were not for Christ, we'd have no hope. And friends, you were not redeemed with corruptible things. You were redeemed by the precious, pure blood of Jesus Christ. And because the blood is pure, then that blood can also purify not only is the blood of Christ perfect, not only is the blood of Christ pure, but friend, that blood is permanent. The Bible tells us that like the Old Testament priests, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, doesn't have to offer sacrifices day after day after day, year after year after year, first for his own sins and then for ours. No, he did it once, once and for all. He offered up himself as a sacrifice. The Bible states, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, say forever, forever is permanent, forever he sat down at the right hand of God. We are offered this gift of eternal life that he purchased with his blood. Thank God that through faith we can be saved once and for all. What was that word we said? Forever. Forever. You know, the word acquittal is an awfully heavy word. 
Acquittal means to remove blame, to free, to absolve. It reaches way back into the past, and it reaches far into the future. You remember O.J. Simpson, don't you? Well, O.J. Simpson was acquitted for that murder. He was acquitted for that murder, and it can never, ever come back on him in a court of law. Not even new evidence that's found can be presented unto him. He has been acquitted. You may say, well, yeah, well, I don't think the justice was done. Well, neither do I. But that's neither here nor there. He was acquitted of that crime, and his blame was removed as far as the court is concerned. But you and I are guilty also, aren't we? We're guilty, and friend, we know it. We're guilty and we know it, but the Bible teaches that when we place our faith in Jesus and we trust in the blood, the pure and perfect, permanent blood of Christ that he shed on our behalf, guess what? We are acquitted, acquitted permanently. Our sins are not only forgiven, they're forgotten. Praise God. And not only those past sins, but all the sins in the present and all the sins in the future. You're acquitted of. It's put under the blood when you trust in Christ as your Savior. David said, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed my transgressions from me. God foretold the new covenant in Christ's blood by saying this, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Wow, I'm acquitted. The blood of Christ is permanent. So whether it be the things that I ought to be doing that I'm not doing. Or those things that I should not be doing, but I find myself doing. Jesus' blood covers all those sins. This pure, perfect blood of Jesus Christ is what we are remembering this morning. As the deacons come forward this morning to distribute the cup, I want to ask you, do you get the picture? Are you getting the picture of the pure, precious, perfect, permanent blood of Jesus Christ? Do you see Christ's blood? But more importantly, listen to me. More importantly, does God see Christ's blood applied to your life? Make sure you're covered, friend, and remember that one application will do.
Chad Hall will come pray over the blood for us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for leading us all here to remember, mm. to remember what was done for us. Father, we ask you this morning to bless this cup that represents Jesus' blood that was spilled on that cross for all of our sins yes. so that one day, Lord, we can come to be with you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. In Matthew 26, verse 27, Then the Lord took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let me ask you a question. Do you get the picture? Let us partake together. Your second portrait this morning is a portrait of the bread. And in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 31, John writes to the people that had just been fed, 5,000 plus, who had just been fed with uh, five loaves and two fishes. And in verse 31, the Bible says that our fathers ate the manna from the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me, he who follows me, shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. You know, the human body has a remarkable ability to process all manner of foods. No matter what kind of taste you have, all the foods that you eat are digested and assimilated and made into blood or bone or flesh, whatever. We eat all kinds of food, but we can survive on one, at least for a period of time. Bread is often called the staff of life because it contains almost all of the nutrition that the human body needs. If you could only have one food, friend, bread should be your choice. Uh, Jesus talked about the bread of life, and I just want to look at three features of the bread of life. First of all, the bread of life is heavenly bread. It's heavenly bread. Everybody knows about bread. I bet you that many of you have eaten bread already today. Uh, I, several of you in the congregation actually bake bread. Uh, you make homemade bread. You make sourdough bread. You make Amish bread. And that stuff is good. Amen. That's good. I love sandwiches. Man, I can survive on sandwiches. But if I ain't got no bread, then guess what? I don't have any sandwiches. So we know all about bread. But there are many obvious differences between heavenly bread and earthly bread. Consider these few. Earthly bread is man-made. Heavenly bread is God-made. Earthly bread must be eaten regularly, while heavenly bread only has to be eaten once. Earthly bread has many earthly ingredients, while heavenly bread has just one heavenly ingredient. 
Earthly bread is baked in an oven, while heavenly bread is prepared in heaven. The people in these verses that we just read should have understood about heavenly bread. They knew that their, their forefathers were fed on daily portions of manna from heaven. In verse 31, they said, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven in which to eat. No doubt that story had been told over and over and over again how their forefathers had existed on that exclusive diet of manna. And I'll bet you they had manna in every way you could dream of. I bet you they had baked manna. I bet you they had fried manna. I'll bet you they had boiled manna. I bet you they had pickled manna. I'll bet you that they had manna on the half shell. I'll bet you they had manna for dessert. I'll bet you they had pineapple upside down manna. And of course they had to have banana manna. Amen? Hey, hallelujah. But back in verses 4 through 9, as Jesus was feeding the 5,000, Jesus fed earthly bread to probably what was more like 20,000 people. And through that miracle, what was he trying to accomplish? What was he trying to teach? He was trying to teach them that the bread of life is the bread of heaven. But they didn't get it. My question to you is, do you get it? Do you get that the bread of life is bread from heaven. Manna came down and so did the bread of life. How did the bread of life come down from heaven? Well, Gabriel told Mary it came down this way. She, he said to Mary, he said, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. You see, once again, the virgin birth assured the, that the bread of life would be heavenly bread. Earthly bread says, be baptized. Earthly bread says join a church. Earthly bread says do good works. Earthly bread says change your life. But heavenly bread says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Acts 16.31. Hallelujah. The bread of life is heavenly bread. But also you need to know that the bread of life is Jesus. In John chapter 6, over 50 personal pronouns are used in that chapter, and all, most all of them are emphasizing Jesus as the bread of life. So for him to say that he was the bread of life would have been utter blasphemy if it were not true. But true indeed. Seven times in the book of John, he records Jesus saying, I am. Here he says, I am the bread of life. I love it when he gets it even through my hard skull that he is the bread of life. He is the bread of heaven. But he also said, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now that could easily be translated this way. I am the bread of life and ain't nobody else. Jesus allows absolutely no room for comparison. He's the only one. Now, in verse 60 of John chapter 6, the disciples are saying that verse 53 through 57 uh, are hard sayings. 
where Jesus says, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Those are hard sayings, amen? How are you supposed to reconcile that? How are you supposed to deal with those verses? They are hard sayings. But the only reason they were hard is because Jesus hasn't yet explained the picture of the Lord's Supper. He hasn't yet explained the elements of the Lord's Supper like we are partaking of today. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. Friends, that is symbolism. It's a picture. It's a portrait. And it's looking forward to this Lord's Supper. Eating and drinking express full acceptance. I don't know about you, but if I don't think I like it, I ain't eating it. And if I don't think I want to drink it, then I ain't going to drink it. But if I eat it and I drink it, then I am accepting it. I am accepting it in full. Uh, Jesus, the bread of life, he desires that we accept him in all the fullness of life. You know, today people uh, look very, very healthy. They look very, very happy. But that's just to an untrained eye. Friends, so many people have not partaken of the bread of life. They don't know Jesus, and they don't know that it will cause them to spend eternity in a sinner's hell if they don't repent and if they don't partake of the bread of life. Friend, it's our job to tell them that the bread of life is Jesus. But the bread of life is also eternal bread. Would you like to have eternal life? Do you want eternal life? It's available to every human being. It's available to everyone who receives Jesus as the bread of life. Back in the Old Testament, when manna had to be eaten, it had to be eaten every day or it would spoil. But the bread of life is a one-time meal, partaking of it just one time. Now, some folks will criticize you and say, oh, you believe once saved, always saved, don't you? No, let me tell you how I believe. I believe in eternal life. Amen? I believe that the bread of life is forever. I believe that it is eternal life. I believe that when somebody is truly born again, God absolutely assures that believer that there is no way that he can be turned away, that no one can snatch him from the Father's hand. No one. That's what I believe. Just look at verse 39 in John chapter 6. This is the will of the Father who sent me, Jesus said, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the third day, on the last day. And in verse 40 he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. That's forever. That's forever. And then you put those two verses alongside verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You see, the, the bread of life is eternal bread. It's bread that gives us life forever. Earthly bread will mold and decay, but this life is clearly eternal. This bread gives life. It gives life in full quality, life in full quantity. Jesus said, he who comes to me, he who follows me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. That's eternal. That's forever. That's eternal bread. This bread has been called true bread in verse 32, the bread of God in verse 33, the bread of life in verse 35, the bread from heaven in verse 41, living bread in verse 51. Why? Because this bread 
is eternal bread. It's eternal bread. This heavenly, eternal bread, which is Jesus, is what we're remembering this morning. So as our deacons come forward to distribute this bread this morning, I pray you would ask yourself this question. How do I partake of this eternal bread? How? How can I partake of this bread that lasts forever? Friend, you must allow yourself to be drawn to the Father through the Son. That's how you draw from the eternal bread of life. Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, pure, unleavened bread, and he blessed it, and he gave thanks for it, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body. 
My question to you this morning is, do you get the picture? The picture of partaking of the body of Christ. Let us partake together. Friend, do you have a sense that God is drawing you to Jesus? Do you have a sense that the Holy Spirit is giving you that nudge that could only come from the hand of God? What he's telling you is that he wants you to partake of the blood and the body of his sinless, perfect, matchless son. And that's his desire for your life in the flesh and in the spirit. Are you hungry for the bread of life? If you are, then that's a sign that God is quickening your spirit to his. Do you hunger? A poet expressed it this way. I've tried in vain a thousand ways, my fears to quell, my hopes to raise, but all I need, the Bible says, is Jesus. My soul is night, my heart is steel, I cannot see, I cannot feel, for life, for light, I must appeal to Jesus. He died, he lives, he reigns, he pleads. There's life in all his words and deeds. All, all the guilty sinner needs is Jesus. Though some will mock and some will blame, in spite of fear, in spite of shame, I go to him because his name is Jesus. He's all you need. Jesus is all you need. Your part is simply to exercise the faith that God has given you. Your part, just to simply take that step of faith to acknowledge that Jesus is your Savior. He has saved you from the penalty of your sin, and you desire to allow him to be the Lord of your life. Jesus. Would you say that name with me? Jesus. Why? Because his name is Jesus. I pray that you get it. pray that you saw that picture of the blood. I pray that you saw that picture of the bread. And if you have never given your life in its entirety, if you've never relied and trusted on him and him alone for your salvation, that you would not hesitate one more day. Seems like every week we're praying for families who have lost loved ones. And we simply never know when our day has come.
Has the blood of Christ been applied to your life? Have you partaken of the bread of life? If not, today's your day. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for the blood that covers every sin. And I thank you, Lord, for the bread of life, the bread from heaven that provides us all we need. And the answers to both of those statements is simply Jesus. Father, there may be someone that's here today who can remember a day in their youth where they gave their life to the Lord. But if they're honest with you and perhaps if they're honest with themselves, they would realize while a relationship was established that day, They've been out of fellowship for years. So not only is this decision time for the one who has never accepted the Lord as Savior, but it's also for that person who so desires to come back into fellowship with you through Christ. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would have his will and have his way in every heart and in every life that's here this morning. Also that you will be glorified in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.